case you hadn't noticed, we're at war. There was a plane that was already shot down, if you, if you saw that earlier. And uh, that, the, it, was, uh, it was, hopefully no one was hurt. We think that uh, the medics have taken care of that, so everything's okay. But over the next five weeks, we're going to start be creating a base camp here on stage because we have reached the final sections of Ephesians and Paul's letter, and he talks about God's army and our role in that army. So I'm giving you full permission for the next five weeks. If you have, like, toy guns you wanted to bring, you bring your toy guns, and you can... Joe, I know you've got something you can strap on, or right? Like like an ammo belt or something? that no, you got to have that at home. Or, like, like, a cool beret, like an army hat. You can, you can, you can bring those as well. Although next Sunday we are doing a baby dedication, so we'll try and find a happy medium, okay? Well, like, of, of like army, army gear and baby dedication, we'll, we'll kind of meet in the middle somewhere. Did you know that there, were, that there were 25 nations in the world that have mandatory conscription? When you reach the age of majority, that in 25 nations in the world, you reach the age of majority and you go into the army, into the armed forces. Anybody grow up in a country where that was a normal? We have a few that, yep, there's a lot of countries where, where that's, just, that's just the normal thing that's happening. It's happening in Russia. And if we see the history of, of, of the Soviet army and their uprising out of World War II and their, their battle with the, the arms race with the U.S. and the Cold War, there was, there was a real focus on military strength and conscription has been a part of their history. And I have, I have some friends from uh, Thailand, and I even know that even though they've immigrated to Canada and they uh, grew up in high school in Canada, when they reached age of majority, they went back and they served for two years in the Thai army because that was just something that was instilled in them as kids as very important. There's the Swiss army that we know, the, they're the protectors of the Vatican. I'm wearing Swiss army this morning. The clone, but I don't, I, don't know if that, I don't know if that allows me to get into the army, but um, maybe not, right? <laughs> they're, it's funny, because they're a peace-loving nation, right? But they're also the most renowned army worldwide, and they also have these super-secretive banks. That's what we know Swiss Army for. They got the army, the banks, and cool cologne. But at 18, all these folks are conscripted into the forces, or 19, depending on the country, and in, in Switzerland, I found this interesting. If you were deemed either physically or intellectually unfit to enter the military, you had to pay a 3% tax increase until the age of 30. Think about that. 20% of the 19-year-olds last year were deemed unfit for military service, and they had a 3% income tax increase that they'll be paying for the next 11 years. <laughs> Boy, that would really get, keep you motivated to be uh, learning in school and keeping fit in school, wouldn't it? You're paying all that extra money every year. What's the typical response to the Canadian Armed Forces? What do we think about our Canadian Armed Forces? We think we've got one helicopter and we got it on at discount somewhere, right? I, uh, I, I Googled Canadian Armed Forces this week, and this is the picture that I came up with, no joke. I just Googled Canadian Armed Forces and here's the, the, the guy on the bike. Yeah, we, the Canadian, this is the picture that came up when I got Canadian Armed Forces. Guy pulling a guy on a gun. In Canada, our armed forces, we take it so much more lightly. It's almost like, almost like a, a joke. Think about when we had the ice storm this year. What was our image, our lasting image of the Canadian Armed Forces? 
We shoveled snow back in the 90s, like when Mayor Mel Lastman called them into Toronto and they shoveled all the snow out. So we had the ice storm. We think, I know what we can do. We can get the army. They're not doing anything else. We'll call them to shovel our snow. You know, we do really want to respect and honor our armed forces because we do have, we can go to the next slide there, and we, we do have uh, some amazing men and women that serve our country, and they serve at home, and they serve abroad, and they have one of the, one of the highest respected, um, they're one of the highest respected armed forces in terms of peacekeeping all around the world, and people recognize Canadian armed forces and military for, for their devotion and for their professionalism, for their efficiency in peacekeeping. And this morning, could we just honor any men and women that are in our armed forces this morning? And I know that uh, we know that if there's families and you have you have family members that have served or do serve, it's not a joke to you at all. It's something that is dear to your heart. And when your son or daughter or or brother or aunt or uncle or parent goes off to war, it's not a joke. And when they go and they strap on weapons and they train and they go and they serve in places where their lives are at risk and they're doing so to protect the lives of others, it's not a joke at all. It's something that comes with a great deal of honor and a great deal of risk and should bring a great deal of pride. But it seems that countries like Russia, like Switzerland, like Thailand, like all over the world we looked at the 25 nations who have this conscription at 19 years old. They have a higher opinion of their armed forces than we do in Canada. And in our next series, as we look at serving in the Christian army, it's funny that there's... There's a similarity in many ways that those who have understood that there's a need and a requirement to go into the army take that at a greater level than those who have thought, you know, it's not something that we really need to do. So we're going to look at our key passage this morning. It's Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 13. And if you need a Bible and you want to borrow one, just slip your hand up and Muneer will make sure you get one to borrow for this morning. We're going to read Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 13. And this is Paul's introduction into describing the armor of God and what we would understand as God's army. So here we go, verses 10 through 13. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground after you have done everything to stand. It's the final thought in this chapter, but I want us to look at it more as the ultimate thought in the chapter that that Paul has been working towards and setting up all throughout the book of Ephesians. We know that we're new people and we're called to treat each other differently and now we're called into battle and we're called into war. And we need to know that in this war that enlistment is mandatory. That first verse stands out, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. This isn't to a few This is to all of us. And he says it's mandatory. Be strong in God's mighty power. We live in a world that really, we have a choice to opt in or out of almost everything, right? When you go to your, when you go sign up for your new phone contract, how many years are you locked in for if you're signing up for a contract and you want the cheapest phone? 
three years. Yeah. Everybody says, well, you can pay nothing, or you, sorry, you can pay $700 and get the no contract phone, and you can pay $500, get the one year, or 300 get the two year, or you can pay like 40 bucks or maybe nothing, and you get the three-year contract. But as soon as you sign onto that contract, what do they tell you about? They tell you, so when you're going to opt out in a year and a half, here's what you have to pay. They know that signing up, there's a good chance that you may opt out of that contract. It's not binding. It's, I'm just going to opt out. I don't want this. Pro athletes, they sign a contract, and sometimes it's even written right into the terms of their agreement. They're saying, well, we're signing a three-year contract with a two-year option on on that because we're not sure if we want them, but we want to still have that option, but we want to back away from that in case it doesn't really work out and it's not feeling the way that we want it to feel. We just spent the last three weeks looking at upgrades and updates and saying, you know, we can opt out of our marriages and we can opt out of our jobs if we really don't like them. Because we live in this culture that says, if something is more desirable than what we're already experiencing, we're just going to opt out because we like what this other option is. And Paul doesn't give us this choice when it comes to our faith. He says, are you a Christ follower? Then be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. You are called to serve and you are called to be a part of this army. We were described in the previous verses as slaves to Christ, that we were laying down our lives. And in this new life, we don't have the choice to be on the sidelines. 2 Timothy 2, this is Paul writing to one of, his, the, one of the young pastors he was mentoring, verses 3 and 4. He says, Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. We're to join with a soldier, like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Christianity, Christianity is not a religion. It's a life that's turned over to God, that's fully submitted, right? And part of this full submission is entering into this battle. In John 6... You can read about it in your, in your community life groups this week. Jesus is talking about what it means to fully be to fully devoted to him. And he's saying, you're going to have to join with me in flesh and blood. And you're going to have to serve at this level. And at the end of John chapter 6, it's a long verse. It's, I mean, it's a long chapter. It says that a lot of people turned away from following Jesus after that day. After he described what Christianity really was going to be all about says, many people turned away. And even his disciples looked at him and he said, that's really hard teaching. How can, how can we do what you're saying to do, to join with you in your flesh and blood and to serve in this, in, this, in this army? And Jesus said, that's what it requires. Unless you become part of me, unless you take this life of service on, then you have no part in me. And the first three chapters of Ephesians were all about the good things associated with following Christ. In the last few, looked at some new expectations that we have on our life. But now Paul steps it up even more and he says, we've got to be prepared to fight to get alongside with Jesus in the mission in the world. And he was starting to lose the, Jesus and Christianity now starts to lose the popularity contest among religious leaders because <laughs> people are backing away. If we were going to look at what's the, what's the best religion, Jesus is starting to lose here. People are, people are going away saying, this is too hard. This is too much. In Luke 9, 23, he says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, means not please with themselves, not do what they would want, and take up their cross daily and follow me. You want to be with Jesus, it means denying what's good for you. 
For some of our gamers, our, our, our series over the next five weeks is called Call of Duty. Um, we see Call of Duty. Some of our gamers are able to turn off the video game. Not all of them are. Some of them are just on there for like the next 48 hours in, in a row and they'll, and they'll be playing. But there's, there's, there's a video game, Call of Duty, and you're able to turn it off. And you can engage with it for as long as you want. And you can engage in it when you want. And when you're done, you shut it off. But your faith life doesn't work that way. The battle is constant. And every day we're required to pick up the cross and re-engage in this battle, in this life, in this faith that Jesus is talking about and Paul is explaining to us here. So let's look about what this battle is really all about. We know that enlistment is mandatory. The great thing about in this battle is that the armor is provided. And that's what we read about right off the bat in verse 11. It says, put on the full armor of God that's going to be given to us. And as we'll start to see, this battle doesn't look anything like the battles that we see in the world going on around us. The prophet Zechariah alluded to this way back when, even before Jesus. We look at it in chapter 4, verse 6. He says, it's not by might, and it's not by power, but what is it? It's by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. If you're going to fight, it's nothing you do. It's not your own strength. It's not your own abilities. It's by the spirit of the Lord. And in 2 Corinthians, this is Paul writing to another church, and he says, The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. And the Christian army is completely focused in the spiritual realm. It's not focused here on earth. A belief in Christ, I, I meet with a lot of people, and we, and we talk through this. We say that a belief in Christ, it defaults us, to believe in things like angels and demons and spiritual beings around us doing battle. Because if we believe in Christ, we believe in his word, we see the Bible as a totality, right? It's whole and it's all true. And all throughout scripture, we read about the spiritual realm. When we read about angels and we read about demons and we read about this battle that's going on. So maybe that puts us back in the lead in religious popularity, right? Because it's a real uh, spiritual culture right now, and people want to hear that, <laughs> some people. So I guess we're back. Uh, Jesus was losing it a little bit by saying, you have to eat my flesh and blood, but now we're back you know, pushed closer towards the front. People may like that more. There's this spiritual focus on good versus evil all throughout the Word. And Paul brings it to our attention here, reminding us that a war is ongoing in the spiritual realms. And our human weapons are pointless. Rudy and I were talking about this yesterday. Who brings a knife to a gunfight? <laughs> you know, maybe some people do. <laughs> Bring a knife. Who brings a knife to a... Rudy, we weren't actually fighting with knives. We were just having a... We were just using, we were using that expression. Who brings a knife to a gunfight? Well, who brings a gun into a spiritual battle? Somebody who's going to lose. Probably very few of us woke up this morning thinking that we're in a battle and thinking, what do we need to take with us to battle. We're thinking, I'm going to church. I may need to bring my Bible. I may not because they hand them out all the time. There's lots of things on screen that I can kind of follow along somewhere, so I probably don't need to bring my Bible. I need to bring my car keys and maybe my sunglasses. It looks sunny out. That's all I need to bring. We don't have this thought, what do I need to put on to engage into this battle? And even if we were aware that we were in a battle, do we really know how to arm ourselves? Well, that's what we're going to look at over the next five weeks. And it's a, it's a beautiful study of the armor of God that we can put on daily to help protect ourselves. And what it means is that our recon is critical. Reconnaissance, you know, finding out about the enemy. 
How else can we effectively fight unless we know who we're going to attack? Unless we know the parameters of where this battle is taking place and who we're going to take on, we, then we're going to be ill-prepared to do that. If you've ever played the fighting games or Call of Duty, you know that knowledge of the map is very important. I've played Call of Duty against a number of teenagers, and I lose all the time. I have no idea what I'm doing. I, I sit there, they're, they're, they're popping up on the map, and some of you, some of you are laughing because you've got kids in this age, and you know if you sit down to play, to play any kind of fighting game with them, they're hiding behind things and in places you didn't even know that existed on the map, and all of a sudden they pop out and bam, and you're gone, and, and they laugh, and they, they don't tell you what they're doing. They don't tell you how to improve. They just kill you and then move on, and don't worry, you'll come back. It's just a game. I have no idea what's happening because I, I, I don't... I'm not aware of the maps. I'm not aware of what's going on. I'm just losing left, right, and center. And I think, let's break out the Commodore 64 and play Winter Olympics, and I'll move that joystick like this faster than anybody, and I'll show you who's, who's a real... That was, that was my day. <laughs> anyway, I have a Commodore 64. Yeah, you had, you had those. You, you know what I'm talking about. You had to go back and forth like that with the joystick, and you had to buy, you had to buy the good joysticks to really be good at those games. We'll show them. Don't worry. <laughs> You've got to know what the enemy is, and you've got to know what he's doing in order to fight. Have you ever seen the, the, um, the infrared thermal mapping? It's, those, it's those, those pictures, and they're heat sensitive. And so they take the shot, and what comes back to you is where there's anything warm. So if there's a body, or if there's lights on, and they can take them from satellites way up, and they get all this good information as to what the enemy has going on, where the enemy is, what kind of people they have, what kind of resources they have. And, and, in, and in, um, in battle, then they can be aware of what they're going to do. I know some parents use it now for finding out how many teenagers are in their house when there's a house party going on. They get those cameras, they just sit out at the, they click, oh, I can see you've got too many friends over, I'm coming home now. There actually is this technology for parents to spy on their kids. It's wonderful stuff. If you're, if you're just getting into teenage, if you're just starting to have teenagers, then you should totally look into that. But you've got to know what's happening if you're going to be prepared to fight the battle well. We can go back to the, the Old Testament. Good old, they didn't have, they didn't have uh, the thermal red pictures and they didn't have the maps. It was Joshua and Caleb. Do you remember the story? And, and Joshua and Caleb go in and they spied out the land and they came back and they said, there's really, really big people there, but there's some really cool honey and some good treats there too. So I think it's worth taking them on. Let's go into battle. That's what Joshua and Caleb came back. The, the other 10, they weren't so sure about that. But there is... There was this sense, even back then when there wasn't technology, that we've got to do the recon. We've got to find out what's happening with the enemy. So when we look at our battle today, the spiritual battle that we woke up to this morning, the reason why we've got base camp setting up here, is because we discover that we're at battle against the devil. And the devil is not a euphemism for bad stuff. To be honest, we use it that way in the world sometimes, don't we? We can say, oh, the devil is, is up to this and just bad things are afoot. Or in church, we'll say it's the world's way versus the way of the church. It's the church and the world, the light of God and darkness. No, the devil is one individual. To be specific, if we read in scripture, he's an angel. And the Bible recounts the story of how the devil was in fact the lead angel in heaven before you and I were created. And he was in charge of worship and he led everyone else in worship and he became prideful. 
Kirsten, you listening to this right now? No, just kidding. (laughs) You're not. (laughs) I wasn't characterizing you as a devil at all. Don't worry. (laughs) He led the people in worship and he became proud and the people followed him and and he fell down and many people, many of the angels followed Lucifer, the angel of worship in that. But Satan's real and he exists and he has a plan for evil against us. One of, the, one of the verses that we quote all kinds of time for, especially young people, we say that God has a plan for us. It's Jeremiah 29, 11. He has a plan to prosper us and he has a future for us. And we read that and we, and we, and we believe that God's got great things in store for us. And if we know anything about the devil, we know that he takes any truth and he skews it. And he just takes a little twist on it to make it harsh for us. And we know that if God's got plans to prosper us, And Satan has plans to entrap us and to trick us. And Satan is not a euphemism for bad stuff. It's a real person. It's a real individual. 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9 says this, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings, because the devil is prowling around. You've been to the zoo. Anybody heard one of the lions roar at the zoo or like in the wild? Maybe you've been on safari. Anybody ever heard a lion roar? Man, that shakes you to the core, doesn't it? Like the ground shakes and they're demonstrating their power. Most of the time I hear something like 21, 22 hours a day, they sleep, lions sleep. And then they get up for a few hours and they just pace back and forth and they pay. And every once in a while they have this big roar and they let you know that they're there and they're there to scare you and they're there to get anybody else, get every other animal or any other person away and let them know that they're dominant. And here's Peter calling Satan the roaring lion, looking to show off how powerful he is. And he's actively out there looking for Christ followers who are thinking, you know, the little things that we just engage in, the little things we mess around with, it's just, it's just small sin we don't really need to worry about. You know, sometimes I think the Canadian Christian lie is this. If we're just polite and honest and kind, then we're all good. <laughs> that's, what, that's what Christianity is about. If we, if, we, if we give to the church and we serve in the church and we're, we're good, kind people, then that's what Christianity is really all about. It's kind of the Canadian perspective on it sometimes. Can we look at verse 12 again? Ephesians 6, 12, if you have it open. Let's look for the polite, kind words in there. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and authorities and powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. I don't see a lot of polite, laid-back words in that verse there. In many cases, we default to our cultural preference rather than align ourselves with what God wants. We excuse ourselves because, hey, I'm just like this way because I'm Canadian. I'm just like this way because I'm Indian. I'm like this way because of how I grew up and who I am. You know what we are? We're Christian. And we read these words and we say, this is a battle cry. And we're called to put on the armor of God and be ready to go in to war. And sometimes we don't even understand the full extent of the power of our enemy until they unleash this brutal attack. The power has always been there, but as long as we leave it alone and it doesn't really affect us, we, we don't think about 
how dangerous it could be. There's a, there's a saying historians love to say that those who fail to learn from history are doomed to repeat it, right? We see this in the case of World War I and World War II where, where Germany was allowed to rebuild after World War I and they were dormant and they weren't really doing anything and we just thought, you know what, they're probably not going to do anything. We're not going to pay attention to them. And then if we study history of World War II, there's Blitzkrieg and then a day they take over parts of Eastern Europe, and the powerful foe that was always there, that was always building, but never really showed their face, took over parts of countries and casualties and ended up causing the start of another world war, all because the people who saw it happening did nothing to prevent it. Just saying, you know, it's okay, we're not going to do anything about it. We look at our modern day, and man, I don't know if you're paying attention to what's going on, how closely you're paying attention to what's going on in the Ukraine and Russia, but wasn't Russia giving us the same message for a while, saying, you know, we're just putting some troops along the Crimean border, they're just doing their exercises, and then in a day, they took over that province. And we're paralyzed with fear, we don't want to react because we don't want to start a world war, but we also know that the threat of a war is there without reacting, and we're not sure what to do, but we can see a powerful enemy, two forces going up against each other, knowing that, boy, we better make ourselves aware that we're in war and there's a possibility of something dangerous to happen. Anybody want to sign up for the fall missions trip to Siberia this morning? Anybody? No? Talk to Pastor Jeff about that. That's his deal. We're going to... Amanda's leading Costa Rica. There's no war going on there. You can go, you can go with Costa Rica with Amanda. Satan is an attacker, and he's plotting against us. And the evil presence that's there might have been lying dormant in your experience and in your life for as far as you know. However, that doesn't mean that the power is not there. And it strikes in many different ways. The battle is real. The threat is real. And the thought we want to close on this morning is that deployment is already underway. Ephesians 6.13, Therefore put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything, to stand. If we look at that language, it doesn't say we're on the assault, does it? It says we're to stand our ground. And we're going to see in the next five weeks, and if you've studied the armor of God before, you know that none of the weaponry that is discussed here in Ephesians is assaultive. There's, no, there's nothing offensive in there save one, and even then we're going to look at if there's offensive or defensive there. The rest of it is all described as defensive weapons and defensive armor. And there's a good reason for this. It's the reason we celebrated last week. Jesus already took the offensive, took on the offensive part of the battle, and he beat Satan in the showdown. Last week we celebrated a death, right? How backwards is that? I'm saying that to, to our team, that it's, it's the beautiful part of Christianity that our, our first instinct is often the reverse of what it should be. That to be first means we put ourselves last. To have everything means to give everything away. And to win the battle meant death. <laughs> Colossians 2.15, having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them by the cross. Jesus already fought the battle. He already won. So we don't have to go on and fight offensively. We don't have to make any strikes. We don't have to look for Satan around every corner and do something about it. That's the easy part of the battle. Jesus already did that. 
The idea of being in God's army is, is not necessarily a clear-cut concept, but it's a frame of mind we need to be in. So there's a practical change that we look at this morning, is being ready to be in the battle, ready to be in the war, remembering that we're not on the offensive. That was what some, of, some, some people took on years ago. We can look at studies of the Crusades, and we can look at different places where people said, we need to go on the offensive. And as we'll see, it's all about the defensive, to stand our ground. So when the battle comes and the, and the devil attacks, we're prepared to stand for our faith the way that Christ called us to. So what does the attack look like? It comes in many forms. Oftentimes we don't even recognize it as an attack of Satan. When we're tempted by habits, when we have sinful attitudes, it's an attack of the devil. When we have the attitude of pride and it prevents us from full submission and humility, that's an attack. That's Satan's presence in the world. In, in God's perfect kingdom, there is no pride. In God's perfect kingdom, there is no selfishness. In God's perfect kingdom, there is no addiction. By no means is every sickness and every job loss or every hardship that we experience in life an attack of Satan. And we wouldn't say that Satan's attacking us every time, but sometimes it definitely is. Because I read about in Christ's kingdom, there is no pain and there is no suffering and there is no hardship. And that's what we're moving towards one day. And it's Satan's presence in the world and sin that has brought us there. And to confess Christ means that we confess there's an enemy of our souls that is looking to do anything he can to make us stray from total submission and perfection in relationship and reliance on Jesus. And when the attacks come, it's useless to fight on the offensive because the fighting has already been done. I don't know if you know the story of uh, Lieutenant Hairu Onoda. He was in the Japanese army, and he was found in the Philippines in 1972. And he was hiding out in, in, in the forests of the Philippines, waiting for his next instruction from the Japanese army, who, were, who, under his opinion, was still engaged in World War II. I know maybe for some of you it's been a long time since you've been in history class, but that ended in the 40s. And they found this lieutenant in the 70s in the Philippines, still waiting for the next instruction about how he was to proceed and where he was to go and how he was to attack. He didn't know that the battle was over, so he was still engaged in that. And there's some Christians that are still saying, Lord, how, how can I go and make a strike against the devil for you? What, what can I do to take him on? And he says, I did that like 2,000 years ago. That's not your job. But your job is to stand and your job is to put on the armor and to be ready and to be aware that he's out there. 1 Samuel 17, 47 says, All those gathered here will know that it's not the sword or spear that the Lord says, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give, it all in, and he will give all of you into our hands. Those, those were the words of David. And David was looking into the face of Goliath, coming against God, and he's saying, all those gathered here will know that it's not by my sword or a spear, which he rejected. He said, the battle is the Lord's. He did that even before Jesus came. <laughs> and we can stand now and say that with that same confidence, the battle's the Lord's, and I'm just called to stand. And over the next five weeks, we're going to look at the armor. And here's the armor of the Lord. You've probably read it or you've read ahead, and it's in the next few verses. Our armor is truth. And we're going to look at how that protects us. And our armor is righteousness and peace and faith 
and salvation. And it allows us to stand in the face of attacks that come on. And we're going to do a great five-week study on that. But they will become integral pieces to how we stand when the attacks come. I'm going to invite the music team to come back. For this morning, I want us to respond with a time of worship. Because Paul is writing this from jail. He's writing this letter to the Ephesians in jail, and he writes this passage to the Romans, probably looking at a Roman guard and seeing that his life is in jeopardy and seeing that he's probably going to die in the coming days. And here's what he writes. He says, And do this, understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake from your slumber, because our salvation is nearer now than when it first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. And Paul says, we got to put it on because the time is running short. He was aware of what the attack... He he was aware that entering into battle was important because there were people that needed to stand for God. Paul knew that it wasn't a game. It wasn't PlayStation. It was a real battle. It was real life. And whether we're aware of it or not, We've been called, we've been enlisted, we've been conscripted. Confession in Christ means we've been conscripted into that army. And this morning as we respond in worship, here's what I want us to think. Will you allow Jesus to fight the battle for you? Because he's already done it. Will you allow him to be your strength? And will you confess to say, Lord, I, I need you. And over the next month or so, I'm going to study about how your truth and your righteousness and your peace is going to give me that strength. And will you be allow Christ to be all you need as you stand in this battle?